Hello, and welcome back to Castle Rock Critical, or welcome for the first time. This is going to be a very sad and sombre intro, um, because, uh, and this is a quick spoiler warning for the episode, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, but guys, we've lost the stalwart of Castle Rock, the guardian of Castle Rock, the white knight, the protector, he is gone. I want us all to raise a glass now and clink to our boy, Alan Pangborn. Yeah, just have a sip of that. Jesus. <clears throat> He would, oh, that's oh, it's really nice. Actually, actually. it's quite it is, nice. He, he, he would I wish ap- it was disgusting. He would appreciate that. Uh, so, guys, just a quick spoiler warning again. We're going to discuss everything in this episode. All things Stephen King in terms of adaptations and how they relate to this episode or previous episodes. Today, I'm joined by the returning Emma and John. Both have been away. Woo! But I've been told to say they have not been away together. Why so that? Don't, definitely not. Don't get any ideas, listeners. Not? Well, I just... You can... you. No, me. out your league, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not out of my league, really, is he? So, a very heart-wrenching episode. A very, I have to say, just so emotional. I, I, it was very difficult for me to even put into words how I felt after this episode, which is why I'm going to go to John first, because he is a man with a, a heart of stone at times. Mm. He's been known to be the most critical member of the group. We all may love something, and he may say there are things that we haven't noticed and I'm a hype man so I get very distracted. John, <laughs> good to have you back mate. Oh thanks mate. It's nice to hear your um your your lovely voice. What are your thoughts on this episode mate? All right, well you're going to be upset aren't you? Because uh you know I've I've seen a snippet of your notes. Yes and you have. You're all like oh it's the best. It isn't. I I don't even think it's uh well no it's not the best episode of this season. Pretty similar to last week. Um, it gets better as it goes, and the ending is, uh, I mean, devastating. Brutal. It's just one of the most devastating endings I've seen in TV for a long time. But yeah. yeah. I had, like, stuff coming from my eyes. And that's... Pups. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You... What? Yeah, I know, right? We can confirm John has had leakage yeah. of the eyes. Of the eyes and nothing else. Pretty uh, pretty sad. Yes. Um, And actually, that... The the last ten minutes is um, is beautiful television. A hundred percent. Unfortunately, I just didn't enjoy the episode as a whole. Um, I can understand what you mean in terms of enjoyment because I don't think it's I don't think it's something you sit there and go oh, I can't wait to watch that again. Like you know when we went to see Avengers: Infinity War, for example, you go right. I need <laughs> to go see that again. I, yeah. I understand what you mean in terms of enjoyment. Well, look let's let's look at it this way. I'm sure. If I went to fucking the Royal Abbott Hall night at the proms, yes, you know, musically, they're going to be better than someone like, I don't know, Foreigner. But, <gasps> hey, don't, well, hey no, Foreigner's amazing. I'm just saying, Whoa. you know, but I would enjoy Foreigner more than I would, you know, a night at the proms. And, and this episode, I think your love for it mm. is ingrained in your love for the making of TV mm. and film. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and look, I absolutely buy into that. And I have to say, I'm going to blueberry it. I'm going to give it three out of five blueberries. I'm sorry, but it has to be done. I think uh, for anyone <laughs> listening for the first time, um, we rate everything out of five blueberries. Sorry for anyone who has listened before, but just to quickly recap this, everything's out of five blueberries. We've done it since we were 
just friends talking about films and TV. There can be no halves. It's a very harsh scale. Zero is obviously the worst, five being the best. The fact that you've given it a three <laughs> is the most offensive thing that I've ever heard in my life. I have heard swear words less offensive than that. I'm slightly concerned that Len's going to hit John. I'm literally holding his hands raging. To himself. Raging, man. Em, I'm going to jump in next because <laughs> I feel like there needs to be a rebuttal. Um, okay, go for it. So we've said time and again, like, you know, this show isn't just an Easter egg hunt, even though we have a whole section of this podcast, which will be at the end, called King Corner, which is dedicated solely to the ways in which uh, certain parts of novels are referenced or adaptations are referenced and how characters' motivations might be, you know, um, influenced by events that have happened in previous novels. We've been saying how this is trying to be its own story and it 100% has succeeded in that. Mm. I, I, you know, this is its own... Stephen King's story and the thing about Stephen King is and we've said it before it's not just the horror in supernatural elements it's the horror in the everyday it's the horror in the things that are around us right now things like dementia things like Alzheimer's and I've never seen a representation of dementia like this on screen before so well done it was so effective it's true actually you think about the way they've portrayed it it is horrific and it, it blew me away I think there's only, I mean, John, I know you're saying about other TV shows. I think this is the best thing I've seen since the season three finale of The Leftovers, which for anyone who hasn't seen The Leftovers, and I know I go on about it quite a lot. Please do go check it out because, man, that is some special television. And that was as emotional as this. This had me going the same way. Um, It's just beautifully put together. You know, I can't believe we've lost... The boy, Pangborn, Mm. my favourite character. Scott Glenn was absolutely killing it this season. And it's amazing how we disliked him sort of at the start. And now, you know, him and Ruth's relationship is beautiful. I mean, if you look at this episode, and it is a bottle episode in respect of it focuses just Mm. on Ruth. Yeah. You could look at this episode and go, this is just a story about a woman with dementia and her long lost love of Alan Pangborn returning to her and then her losing him at the end. It's a tragic story. Yeah. It, it, it's chrono- you know, chronologically going through her life, seeing about how her relationship with Alan started, her troubled, you know, relationship with, you know, the Reverend Deves and all that sort of stuff. And it's just got such a tragic ending. It's a beautiful episode. You know, I'm going to say it guys. It's a five blueberries. It's obvious. Yeah. It's obvious. I think. I think the you know apart from John who said something disgusting this today, giving it a three. There, you know, I would give it more, John. I would give it more than five if I could, but I can't. Doesn't make um, any sense. But M, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you next. As someone who's the more literary member of the group and who has read, you know, the majority of the King novels at this point. Not, I mean, not all of them because Jesus has a lot, but you've read a lot that relate to Castle Rock. Mm -hmm. What did you think about this episode? I know there's not too many references in there, but how do you think this shapes up as his own individual story? Well, firstly, I'm glad to be the most literary and probably literate of the group. (laughs) Uh, Thanks. Thanks, Yeah. Got a degree in that shit. Um, I've read a newspaper. Did you? Yeah. Gave you those comics the other day. (laughs) (laughs) I have an incredibly mixed set of feelings about this episode and part of that may be to do with the technical issues that I experienced whilst trying to watch it on my lunch break today in the office. <laughs> so technical issues aside, um, I, yeah, mixed feelings. So you're right, Len, I've been doing, and especially lately, reading a lot of the King canon and uh, just been on holiday, yeah, on my own, lovely. <laughs> I read four Stephen King novels while I was away. 
Um, so I was fully absorbed in, in the Stephen King kind of universe or multiverse, as we probably want to call it. Yeah, boy. So what did I, you uh, what did you read? Uh, what did I read? So I read The Dark Half, which mm-hmm. is a it's a Panger story. Yeah, yeah, great. And we will be talking about that later. Yeah. Um, and then I read The Shining, which I haven't read. Ooh. I haven't actually read before. Mm. And then its sequel. Doctor Sleep, yeah, which was absolutely fantastic, mm. um, and a couple of little short stories, yeah, um, but bloody brilliant. But of course, so my head is really in Stephen King. Um, <laughs> not enough. Not literally. <laughs> That'd be weird. Mate, that Sorry, feels, Stephen. It's yeah. a hideous image, isn't it? Um, Stevie boy. So I then came back and caught up on last week's episode, which I, I really enjoyed, um, and then I watched this episode today. And so there are parts <laughs> of me that thought, yeah, Len, you're right. It's an excellent piece of television um the, the way that they demonstrate and, and portray the the ravages of dementia alzheimer's that kind of you know brain memory damaging um disease is fantastic uh, really heart-wrenchingly beautiful actually yep 100 um, and i i really enjoyed the kid <laughs> yeah i mean enjoy is a strong word enjoy no, is a strong word he is a creepy Fucking guy. I mean, he, I don't. I don't get him. I, I, I'm, we'll go into it in the main cast. Can but, you I know, tell you he, the thing that creeps me out the most? It's the way that one of his shoulders always hangs lower than that, the other one. What is with that? that? What is so wrong with John? No, I have that. For anyone listening, we do call John Humpback John. We're very sorry. You <laughs> can't see him. But he... <laughs> yeah, Cosimodo. Um, no, I have that. Um, and there, but there are things that I didn't enjoy. So for me, it's. <clears throat> It's one of the weaker episodes from an enjoyment perspective. You can't give halves here. And if I could, I'd give it three and a half. Because for me, it's... Round up, if anything. Yeah. Well, if you wait, then. <laughs> it is, for me, in terms of enjoyment and, you know, engagement, my personal engagement with the episode, um, it would probably be a three. But taking into account how well it's structured and the way it's filmed and the way they've done it, I am going to... Give it a four out of five. All right, I'm going off this episode now. Okay, so baffled is my, uh, you know, as the host of this show, absolutely baffled by those uh, ratings. Of course, everyone's entitled to their opinion to an extent. Well, apparently not. I will bully them into fives. No, but Gareth and Lucy, and this is not a lie, uh, have messaged me <laughs> saying it's a five. They were... Well, I mean, Lucy I, gave it five cherries. Lucy gave it five cherries. So I, don't, I don't know what that scale is. How does a cherry... Com- like I think it might blueberry? be seven cherries. Seven cherries. So and it I, might be five know, out of seven. So, we, you know, we... You know, it's a great episode of television. And now we're going to do the uh, the recap. So basically the way we do things here, if you're first time listening, we do a scene-by-scene scene recap. This week it's going to be a bit trickier because it's all over the place, obviously. Nature of the episode. Then we go to King Corner, which is our own separate section Woo! where Emma will go through all of the adaptations and referen- uh, novel references that have been in the show and, you know, things that we can link to other Stephen King novels. Then we're going to have listener feedback. And that's it. So let's crack on with the recap. Hello. Sorry to interrupt the podcast listening, but yes, I'm here once again to ask for your subscriptions. If you have enjoyed any of our previous podcasts, or if you're enjoying this one so far, please do subscribe. It's very easy that you get the episode to any of your devices. It downloads to it. Listen to it when you want. It's just worth noting, we have other podcasts too. If you like major event films, anything Marvel-based like Ant-Man and the Wasp or Avengers Infinity War, Star Wars, or any shows like Black Mirror, Stranger Things, The Walking Dead, Westworld, then please do check out our other channel, our parent podcast, which is Fan Critical. Also on any podcast platform, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, all of those areas, wherever you get podcasts, basically. 
We're big fans of spreading the word of Castle Rock, much like the voice of God or the schisma. You know, Ooh. whatever you want to call it. Depends on your religious uh, beliefs. Um, but let's get a word out about this show. Tell your friends to watch it because at the moment, I think, you know, not a lot of people have seen it. And I think the show has now gone from a sort of, oh, you should check this out to a, hey, guys, you really need to see this show. I think this episode's really, you know, ignited a lot of passion for the show. So that's excellent news. Uh, do check out our favorite subreddit, which is r slash Castle Rock TV. We're very active on there. We love a chat with you guys and any theory theories you have and a theory discussion so please do check that out also if you want to like just talk about the show or see some cool info about the show do check out your facebook groups we've been mentioning some every week uh this week we want to mention our friends over at castle rock hulu discussion group just search for that on facebook and uh join just for a nice friendly discussion all the other groups that we've mentioned in previous weeks will be below in the show notes so do check them out thanks guys and back to the podcast so before I start, just thought I'd say it'd be interesting to mention the name of this episode, which is mm. The Queen. Uh, the titles have been excellent this season, and they've all had multiple meanings. And this one is no different by any means. Obviously, The Queen is referring to the Lewis Chessman, which, as we will mention in the recap, we follow very closely in this episode. Yeah. Ruth mm. herself is obviously a reference to The Queen. And also Carrie, who she played in the 1976 adaptation, was, of course, The Prom Queen. Bloody hell. Yeah, so multiple meanings, John. So it's extremely difficult, as I said, to go scene by scene this week, as the episode Mm -hmm. is so disjointed for obvious reasons. So I thought what we would do is go through the journey with Ruth, like she does, but stop on on the scenes, which have the most relevance and the most surprises for us. Because obviously we've seen some of these scenes that she's been through before, but just Mm. from her perspective or a different angle this time. And I've got some questions about some of this. I'm really, really looking forward to doing that. Let's get into it then, guys. We open up with Ruth running to the garage with a gun. Yeah, so yeah. she's hiding. Yeah. We assume picking up exactly where we left off you know, yes. from last week. Yeah, so yes. that's an assumption that we've made off the bat. Okay, hard cut. And I have to say, the editing in this episode is superb. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. an editor, so... Yeah, no, yeah, I get that. I was loving it. Yeah. Right? We hard cut to the Lewis Chessman, and there's going to be a lot of hard cuts. The Lewis <laughs> Chessman scene, um, as was set up last week, there are totems for any Inception fans out there. We went, we mentioned it last week that they are totems. They mm. are the things that are going to ground us in the here and now. Mm. So they're the rules that they've established. They've yep. established that the chess pieces are the way back to the present. Okay? I love that system. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, Ruth is is our totem. And she is. Yeah. Mm. She is our totem. <clears throat> she, she, we're seeing everything through her eyes. Yeah. So... Keep that in mind as we go through these scenes. So in the Lewis Chessman scene, the dog is present. The dog that we saw, you know, dug up in the suitcase. <laughs> okay. Fucking, what is, I mean. So any anything that starts with a dog getting killed before the titles have even started, I was like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be a heartbreaking episode. Mm. I was, you know, animal, animal cruelty or animal deaths. Mm. Can't take them. That already upset me. And it was a lovely looking dog. Yeah, mm, beautiful. Handsome. Was it German Shepherd or something like that? Yeah, sure he's a German Shepherd. German yeah. Shepherd, lovely dogs, very smart. Love them. Oh. I want one. He's making little hurt noise, isn't he? Oh, I was. I hate that noise, man. That yell. That, that, fucking like, moron it's drivers. Like that wind so, like, yeah, and then he's like he having came a gun. Out of nowhere. Sob came out of nowhere. Son of a bitch. Going, no son of a bitch. I'm sitting there She's going, a bitch. What are you doing, mate? You've just run over a dog. <laughs> Obviously, the woman's extremely <laughs> affected by it. Why are you calling it that? 
Idiot. Yeah. Um, Pretty insensitive. It is insensitive. But what was very sensitive and lovely, and something that you criticised in earlier episodes, John, was the use of the suitcase. <laughs> also pointed out here. I, I didn't criticise it. It just baffled me. I thought it was... Well, I told you I've buried a dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's not never... go back to that. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. It is a bit weird to do it in a suitcase, but obviously it makes sense. Yeah, a little coffin. Kind. Yeah. Why is he bringing really it into the house? Why is he bringing it into the house? <laughs> What, the suitcase? Yes. It's not in the suitcase yet. What do you mean? No, the she's, suitcase was she's, empty. She's got the suitcase oh, out. Oh, fucking hell, Did yeah, you think Pangborn had brought the dead yes. dog in to pack it away? Like, why has he done that? I, <laughs> I thought, right, the dog's in the case. He's no in the wonder house. you gave it three blueberries. What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, very is... difficult to follow. So we learned that Puck was a, 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 apparently their original dog and was very similar. Puck was the boy's dog. Used to leave dead squirrels on your pillow like hotel men to remember. That dog out there is just a neighborhood stray. I know that. Did I ever tell you about what happened to Puck? I came home one day and uh, she was just gone. Matthew said she, she must have run off. But I found a box of poison in the trash. You have no idea. What? What he was capable of. I used to see it. Turkey vultures wheeling around this guy out back. And with all his butt up was shaking his shit to go look. The thought of her, they picked a pot. Not in the barrier. There's a lot more about the poison dog situation yeah. than meets the eye. So keep put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. We're cutting to waking up now with Puck leaving a lovely dead squirrel for uh, for Ruth on the pillow. And this is the way the episode's going to go. Very, very, very disjointed. Was very it jumpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very, yeah dead squirrel. it was like a possum or something. No, dead squirrel. And basically she stumbles out of the room goes down the hallway and there you are seeing a conversation from episode one between Henry and Alan, uh, basically having a disagreement. Basically, it's a time when uh, Alan comes out the shower, you know, mm. looking for that sweet loving. Yeah. And uh, he sees <laughs> Henry. He sees Henry mm-hmm. and, not, and not Mrs. Deves. So, yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I interject mom? and ask a question here? <laughs> <laughs> can I interject and ask a question here? Yeah, and I'm assuming that we're gonna we're gonna bring it up as we go along, but I've I've got to ask it now, Hattie, because it's really fresh in my mind. Do we think that, given Ruth's reaction in that scene when we first saw it in episode one, that she is actually time traveling because of the way that she reacts in those scenes when you link them to how well, she is when she's I, back in the time? I think what we'll do is at the end of the episode we'll have a section where we all discuss whether we think this is simply dementia or something else now we're jumping around so every time i jump around to a new scene don't worry act like it's the episode back to the word game and anyone who's been listening to us before they love this word game at juniper hill or wherever (laughs) it is not juniper hill but some sort of neurologist's office they can't get enough of it we said it last week you got a cold i'm just gonna say these five words to you (laughs) Uh, you saying back to me? So we're I back. I can't to- say that sound. I've got a blocked nose. We're yeah. back to the word game again. Jesus Christ! But we do see the rest of this scene and the horrific diagnosis and the idea that 
it can't really be diagnosed as dementia until you're dead. That's terrifying. But it's true, mm. though, and that's one of the saddest things about it is that, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, that they're very similar in their own way. And they'll kill you and they'll fuck your life up. Yeah. Poor Ruth. Yeah. Um, but you, you can't confirm it. You can basically just say you're losing your mind a bit. Probably is this, but until we cut your head open. Yeah, it's a horrific disease. And I think <clears throat> and I think the way that the the show portrays it, as I said, this this episode mm. is phenomenal. Because it really does. And there's a Stephen King quote, which we'll come on to in King Corner, which uh, I know you've prepared, Em, that is going to be uh, very relevant to this episode. Alan takes her back home and says this. I knocked on that door after 14 years. You remember what you said? Don't leave. See? It's all still up there. <laughs> Obviously, those lines are going to really, really come back and hit us hard in the feels. Later on in the episode. I mean, to the extent of ultimate feels. (laughs) Mega, mega feels. If John cried, it says it all. Or I've, you know. He leaked. He leaked. I've got a heart. It leaked. Okay, so now we know that Ruth needs a system. She goes on a miniature crusade to put the Lewis Chessman in every room in the house so that she's got a totem in every single room. As she does so, she sees scenes from her past. We see scenes of her reading to Henry back in the way, way past, probably previous to 1991. This is interesting as the version of Ruth, who is reading the story, looks at time traveller Ruth. So just stop it there, guys. Yeah. As we go through this episode, the interesting thing that I think is important about the way they've portrayed dementia and how we can maybe establish if this is something other than just dementia Mm -hmm. is the fact that obviously when you recall a memory you see it from that perspective but Ruth is coming into this room and her past self is looking up as if she's seeing her it happens a couple of times in the episode so I think they might be playing with something here that might be alluding to a supernatural element if it is some weird time travel power thing yes which the, could, yes, which could be connected to the schisma, which, as we know, in the last episode was referenced as a, all possibilities, present and future, potentially, and links into the Dark Tower mythology, which we have based King Corner on for several weeks now. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's very open to the Stephen King realms of possibilities. Yeah, you open the pod talking about, I guess, the uh, the power of uh, linking very real kind of horror. Doesn't yeah. that get hurt a little bit if, rather than just seeing a natural kind of degradation of a human mind, it then turns into something that is, oh, no, yeah, but it's also time travel powers. I get what you mean by that. If it is just a tragic story of an old lady slowly losing her mind and murdering the person that she loves, it is inherently a stronger... Yeah. Like we said about other shows that we watch, if there's nothing supernatural involved, it's just stronger sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this scene where way, way back, pastime Ruth is noticing our Ruth wandering through the scene she's reading Hansel and Gretel to uh, Henry a story about being lost in the woods um, and he does get lost in the woods very soon after so you know nice little bit and there's also oh, you know a bit in the story about breadcrumbs if you yeah. haven't read Hansel and Gretel <clears throat> spoiler warning um, <laughs> but there's also breadcrumbs and obviously we're using the chessman as breadcrumbs so very very relevant for Ruth mm. this scene we have an amazing moment of Alan showing his magic to Ruth we've Whoa. said Ooh, yeah he likes doing that. I mean, and you know, I, I, I thought we were getting a bit of rumpy pumpy in the scene. They're both yeah, in bed right. together. We've said in previous King Corners that he's a great amateur magician in all of his uh, in, <laughs> in in the uh, not in that way, John, not in that way. 
Uh, he's a great amateur magician. And this is a, actually quite a sweet moment between them of him just, you know, showing a, his magic. Don't do it, John. Don't laugh. And <laughs> All jokes aside, it's also important in the end of the episode. 100%. Um, because she remembers how to palm it. She Palming. does. Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah. So it's... it's, it's What's it, the French drop? The French drop. Wendell's reading, the reading that was done at the Reverend's second funeral last week. So Ruth is transported back in time. And we quoted it then, but we'll go for it again now. This is what is said by the Rev Deves as he's preaching to his sermon. But this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable put on the imperishable and this mortal put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. So we mentioned this last week as referencing it's Corinthians <clears throat> and it's referencing Jesus' resurrection. Yeah. But we're saying... Well, that's a spoiler warning for the Bible. Spoiler warning for the Bible. But we're saying that it might, you know, refer to the Rev Deves, maybe a possible re- reincarnation through the kid in this episode, a possible way of saying that he's <clears throat> cheated death. And we did say there's Pet cemetery vibes and Pet cemetery links throughout this show. We obviously said it wasn't going to be as overt as he comes back as a zombie, I think we said last week. But mm. something about resurrection is extremely important. And as we see throughout this episode, you know, the kid is in, you know, he's got a lot of traits of the Rev. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he has and he hasn't. I feel like he's emulating him. I feel like he's yes. playing a character. And it's he does almost seem like, like that. And less like a reincarnation. And more like a channeling. Yeah. And I've got some theories on the kid, which we're going to bring up towards the end of the episode. So put a pin in it. Just remember it. Sit on it. Okay. Important to note here, we see a lovely little young Pangborn. He looks like a little handsome chap, doesn't he? He is a handsome chap. And he's looking here longingly at Ruth and she looks back. And the Rev notices, so, you know, he's seeing something going on there. Dun, dun, dun. Feeding into our thoughts that this relationship had been going on for a very long time. John, we said it before. What are your thoughts on the fact that, that Ruth and, and Pangers were potentially sleeping around a little bit before before the Rev's demise? Uh, well, it's not surprising, is it? I mean, the Reverend is a douchebag. Um, Pangborn is Pangborn. He's a Pangers. He's uh, our boy. I mean, look... If you give him blueberries to bachelors, oh yeah. Uh, I, well, I guess he's a widower at this stage, but yeah, he's still an eligible bachelor. I think you can class him as an eligible bachelor. Yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. He's he's got to be a five blueberries. Yeah, in, I mean he's, he's good. So, he's good looking. He's good looking. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. Yeah, he's got He'll, another gun. Uh, yeah, he goes for a knife if a dog's been run over. And he's sheriff. I mean, that must, that's probably the best job you can get in Castle Rock. Yeah, he's also up. defeated the devil. <laughs> you know he's done lots of things yeah, so he plays time. that down though he does play that down well it's one time nah seriously yeah. but yeah it's um it's it's nice to see that there's this this sort of seeding of their relationship this early on in the past and as i said before it's kind of the spine of the episode is seeing mm. these little moments between them the what could have been moments and the regrets that later ruth will have about them so i really yeah. love their relationship actually <clears throat> 
that that for me was one of the things that I enjoyed most about this episode was seeing how their relationship blossomed. Yeah. Or, you know, crept up on them, I think. And, like, you know, Pangers was clearly in love with Ruth for a long time. Pangers. 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 We're going to call him Pangers from now on. And yep. we implore that everyone else does. He's our Pangers. We have a lovely transition here of leaves being all over the house. And as Ruth goes through there, it leads out into the woods. Beautifully done. Mm. Very really good, good directing, creative yeah. decision mm. there. And it leads to a diva family outing, which seems like a lot of fun. Do you reckon? Yeah, lo- lovely woodland, homemade picnic, and a revolver. Tuna yeah. salad. So it's what you need. Yeah. She's made tuna salad. Yes, right, Em. Yeah. yeah. And he's brought a gun. You got the crisps, Dad. Yeah. Uh, well, no, not a gun. Why have you got a gun? Why have you Why have you bought the bloody gun? I've Jesus, got to say, man. it looks like the most uncomfortable family uh, like trip of all time if, even yeah. before the gun comes out to be honest yeah I you thought say, Grace Rev nah Woods will do it innit Schisma Schisma yeah I, well. I literally thought you know Ruth was probably thinking hey, he's going to kill them all he's going to kill them all in like some sort of like weird suicide pact because mm. we learn here in this scene I thought the that, same thing that he had glycoma which you know, he said he saw a doctor about it, and we, you know, he had issues dealing with his perception of reality as well. Yeah, which is extremely interesting, mm. considering back then Ruth was, as far as we understand it, okay. Yeah. Um, the revs clearly unhinged here. Clearly, only a little bit. Tells them of how he discovered the schisma, or the voice of God, as he clearly calls it. Ruth, <sighs> you know, reveals his issue. He mentions the Apostle Paul and how he was converted after seeing the resurrection of Christ. So Mm. theme of resurrection, present again. So just saying that's a massive thing for the Rev, which is why he might not be gone. He might still be here in some way. Um, Interesting to note that Henry couldn't hear the schisma at all back then. Very interesting. Mm. And last week we said a couple of theories that, um, you know, potentially that the kid was the child of the roof ruth and the rev yeah and also that that they might have you know specifically adopted henry for his ability to hear the schisma to to <laughs> to to use it to find a gateway to a parallel world yeah. and re- retrieve their yeah, son yeah, that they yeah. lost yeah interesting theory and one that was actually very popular i think that's kind of been quashed a little bit here mm. because the fact that henry couldn't hear the schisma when they first adopted him is extremely interesting to me mm. and blows a lot of theories out of the water so hey that's not what's going on, guys. So sorry about that. There you go. I apologise for putting crazy alternate reality theories out there. I knew this was going to be confusing, but all of a sudden I feel like I've actually got dementia. Yeah. Well, you know, you sit out a couple of podcasts, you miss out on some craziness. Yeah. yeah. Back to Ruth telling Wendell about her system. He calls her a time walker. This is interesting, right? Yes. I like it. I, I like... don't like the game. No, okay, I, like right, I agree with you, John. That the game it's on the nose. The game is the game is ridiculous. I don't know what the point of the game is, and I like yeah. If you want an AR game, just get Pokemon Go. Why is he playing this game? Yeah. Why is he playing this game? But he calls her a time walker, and Ruth sort of likes this idea and takes it on board. Um, anyway, uh, time walkers are the most powerful because they're the only avatars that can actually kill the dead. The dead, they're they're everywhere. You see. <laughs> And, you know, they're pissed off because we're alive and they're not. you got to stay sharp because they can change their skin. You know, sometimes even look like your allies. And look, there goes another one. See, what makes it so hard is that no one stays dead when you kill them. I mean, unless you're a time walker. 
theoretically, you, you could just kill your nemesis and fix the whole timeline. But you gotta stay sharp. Kill your nemesis, fix the timeline. So that is a massive line. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, the inspiration for Ruth, potentially in this episode, is the idea of if she kills her nemesis, which she believes to be the reincarnated Rev Deves in the kid, mm. then everything will be all right. She might recover. Who knows? If she is, because she, as far as she knows, she might not have dementia. She might actually be jumping through time from her perspective. Yep. So this is a way of her resetting that. Yeah. And finally having the future with Alan that she's always wanted. But also, I suppose, in a way, just writing her past wrongs, you know, being brave enough, coming back with a wealth of experience to be able to go, no, take the fucking suitcase and leave. Yes. He's a mental, crazy schisma dude. Schisma man. <laughs> Taking on board Wendell's notes, uh, she gets rid of her pills, which is an interesting word. So she wants to stay, you know, unclouded mind. She doesn't want to take her sedatives or anything that clouds her judgment. She spills the pills on the floor. On the floor. And that's when we pick up where the kid walks in in that creepy way that he did. <laughs> and oh you guys God. you guys weren't here last week. What are your thoughts on the kid just strolling back into the house? I quite like him. You like him, do you? I do, yeah. I mean, I always thought he was a bit evil. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, right from the beginning, was always convinced he's an evil, evil kid. And it's open for debate and it's been something that's been hotly debated online. Mm. Well, I don't think it's evil. I don't think it's evil to come into the house and take your shoes off. I think that's very sensible. Back door, open. But I actually think... <laughs> front door, open. Um, I also think that a lot of what he does in this episode could either be taken as you fucking psycho reincarnation or maybe he's channeling the Rev and he's trying to remind Ruth of the nice things and give her the you know the happy memories, the and music at their first dance. that is a very good point, Em. It's quite a dichotomy, isn't it? You could very easily say, he's pure evil, what the hell is he doing? Or because maybe he's a reincarnation of the Rev. Um, or what he's doing could be taken to be really kind. He's actually trying to take care of her. He's getting yeah. more sensitive because she's panicking. Yes. I don't know. Yes. So, I I do think he's uh, he's evil. Yeah. Um, John John would settle that way, but go on. Well, no. I'm but, winding you up, but go on. Well, I mean, I don't care. I know you don't, mate. But, see a soulmate in him. You know, playing devil's advocate. Oh. What does he actually do in this episode that's bad? Exactly. Nothing. Well, yeah. Is there anything wrong? <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. If Comes anything, into the house, he's quite offers sweet. to make her food, says lie down. All right. I mean, he sounds a bit scary when he's like, don't leave the room. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's quite like. That's quite But also, yeah. if you stop thinking about him as like the devil incarnate, he's worried that she's going to go fucking mental because she's not very well. He runs for a bath and then yeah. she just stabs him in the gut with a screwdriver. Well, let's, and then he stays in the house and just stares at her. Let's put a pin in. <laughs> Let's put a pin in the fact that he's done nothing bad because my next note is Juniper Hill's on fire, 14 dead. <laughs> yeah, but in a way. And he's the main suspect. And we know he just went there. So he hasn't done anything bad. He has killed 14 people I to get out of there. How the he newscaster... might not have done anything there, though. What? So we're just going to go off... We, oh, yeah, we fair enough. Know. Fair enough. It could be a chance. It Innocent could be a chance. until proven guilty. Yeah, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. But it's just funny reading my next note yeah. after what we've just said. What I loved about that was where the newscaster was like, they, uh, they declined to give a name. And that's like, yes, he hasn't got a fucking name. We don't know who he is. Mm. We don't know who he is. No we one has a clue. Reverend Diva. No, joking. Um, so Ruth goes to get the gun because, you know, she, she remembers putting it into the cup in the cupboard. Uh, and we cut to a young Henry chatting to Ruth while she's in the bath. I personally thought this was a bit weird. So weird, man. I thought it was weird. I don't yes. think it is. I'm with the Rev Deve on this. 
I did, I just knew it. Chatting, chatting to the. What was he doing? What's happening? Why is that happening? Anyway, that's just my opinion. Hey, each to their own. If that's something you do, fair play. Because that was no, not fair play. The revs not liking it, um, but they're playing a little game here. Important to note what Henry says. They're playing a game of like, what am I, essentially, I think is what's going on. Yeah. And she asks him, and Henry says here, smaller than a teacup. Just remember that one line, smaller than a teacup. We're going to come back to it later because it's referenced later on in the episode in a very important way. Am I in the neurologist office? I don't want to have to remember words. Remember all of the words. <laughs> Family. Now repeat them back to me Church. in any order. So the Rev's not happy with the bath. We're not happy with the bath. Emma's loving the bath. So split decisions. <laughs> That's not what I said. Um, this is episode essentially could be looked at as a way of Ruth trying to find some bullets for a gun because there's little clues throughout dotted throughout the episode and this is the first clue about where the bullets are so she's got the gun and now we know the bullets are in the safe doorbell rings and guess who it is where are we okay mrs diva it's important i think that something terrible is going to happen it's happened I saw you in my bedroom. You were just a little girl. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, you did right. But it didn't take. He's back. In the present, not the past. But I'm going to fix it. So jumping around again, obviously there, Molly, we find out that, you know, Ruth knew all this time that Molly killed the Rev. Mm. Madness. Bombshell. Absolute bombshell. Good job, because actually the Rev, total fucking wanker. He seems like a dickhead. (laughs) He does seem like a dickhead. I wonder if there's going to be a bit of trickery there mm. and and they're using this to like really signpost like you know the rev killed the dog the rev did this i think some things are going to be revealed that it wasn't the rev yeah. i actually think henry might be behind some of the actions like the dog poisoning mm. why i don't know yet but i just i've got a funny feeling in my tv bones that they're setting that up oh. um keep them to yourself but yes amazing <laughs> bombshell dropped that she knew all along so that says a lot about the way that Ruth actually considers the Rev and has considered him since his death and passing. Mm. So very, very interesting point. And we're, we're finding out so much about her detest for him as this episode goes on. Yeah. Are you guys surprised that Molly didn't, you know, find another way into the house or get involved any way she could? Because I, I was genuinely concerned here that obviously she's concerned for Henry because she's got that empath, em, you know, that empath feeling, that shine towards him that... <laughs> that he is in trouble because we know he's locked in that sort of recording studio, just yeah. recording his latest first solo <laughs> album. His first podcast. His first podcast, yeah. Um, but are we concerned that she didn't find another way into the house? Clearly, Ruth is extremely distressed here. But actually, if you, we know she is because we're in her head. Well, yes, but, but she's just I revealed don't... that she, she knows that she killed. Yeah, but I don't think, actually, that if you were Molly on the other side of the door and you had no idea about anything else... But just... she feels emotions, right? She feels... Well, maybe she can't feel Ruth. It's interesting. Mm. We do know she's got certain connections to certain people. <clears throat> maybe something or some supernatural element is blocking her from feeling Ruth's feelings, potentially, which is mm. another interesting... Could be the kid. Could be the kid. The fact that he's in the room. Although she can pick up on what the kid was thinking and feeling. 
Mm. Maybe and, that's and it, more overwhelming than Ruth's feelings. Yeah, and it did. Dis- I don't know. It did disturb her. So just an interesting thought. I thought we might see a bit more of Molly in this episode after seeing her open the door. Mm. Um, he has this feeling he's burnt the eggs. He's, oh, he's oh, fucking fuck, hell. Fuck. It's easy to do, John. It is easy to do. I've <laughs> never done it, but I've heard people have. Um, so it's getting a bit more terrifying if that's anywhere near possible because this whole episode has an amazing sort of score behind it of strings and they're very reminiscent at times of so say moments in The Shining um, where they're very sort of scattered and pizzicato mm. and a bit out there and you know the kid now puts on a record and has decided to put some pictures up in the hallway and over Henry's face is all smashed right okay. on the pictures because what Ruth says did you put them there and yes. the kid says something along the lines of they belong well, there. isn't that where they belong yes. or they belong there yes um, I didn't notice the fact that he'd done that which is quite interesting yeah so clearly like you said Em he's Picking up these pieces of information, touching these artifacts, maybe filling in some, you know, emotions, memories that happened in the house and using that to his advantage to try and maybe soothe or ease Ruth's, you know, illness. Because he did say he was trying to help her. So remember the words of the kid to Pangborn, I can help her. Mm. in a couple of episodes ago. He might still be trying to do that. I think he is. And, And that's an interesting thing to remember. But the fact that Henry's, like you know smashed up faces on these photos with the glass is extremely unnerving and it also makes me think about the kids you know feelings towards henry Mm. and their relationship and we've referenced Mm. their relationship in previous episodes what is their relationship i'm so excited to see how they know each other maybe they're the same person I don't know. I'm just thinking of weird things here, but well, it's a bit like um, the dark half, isn't it? That so, just a very brief. I'm not going to bring it up in King Corner because it's not actually relevant to this episode, but to what you've just said. So, in the dark half, you have uh, Tad Beaumont, who is an author, and then and I know you guys talked about this yeah. with Lucy the other week. Yeah. His, uh, you know, pen name alter, alter ego, ego George Stark, um, at some point actually comes to life and becomes yes. a real being. Yes. So one of the things that you guys talked about last week was the possibility that um, the kid was Ruth and Alan's son. Yes. Which makes no sense because he's too old. Mm. If he's been that way for 27 years and he's about 20, it yeah. doesn't make any well, sense. Well, we don't know how old he is. I mean, it's, it's however, tricky with age, yes. However, there is, you know, maybe a possibility that he is the um, realisation of uh, an alter ego or a... You know, a second part of maybe Henry or the Deves. Yeah, very possible. And and is it weird though? Wouldn't it? It would be weird. It's Stephen King, but it is Stephen King, and I, I think know, we've got to remember but... that. We've got to remember that, as we said, even though this episode could be taken as a purely dementia-centric episode where there's no supernatural elements at all, you could even say at this point you don't know much about the kids. Mm. If you just took this up as a bottle episode, remember this is Stephen King here. This is gonna. There are gonna be some extremely supernatural elements. Um, and they're going to shock people and they're going to be a bit out there, you know, mm. and, and we just got to be prepared for that. So far in, what, seven episodes, if we had anything that's... Overtly supernatural, yeah. no. And I like that. I like the fact that it's teetering on the brink of, well, that could be supernatural, probably isn't at times, and it's just real. Like, mm. this is just, you know, like, Zalewski going mad. He's just lost it. 
because he's <laughs> you know that sort of stuff he's yeah. just, you know or there could be as we said in king corner a benevolent force overarching everything mm. convincing people to what, do things yeah that is what is most terrifying about the supernatural is that predominantly it lies right on the cusp of this could just be humanity or yeah. there could be something else controlling it. And a lot of the time the and human stuff... that's what makes it so terrifying. Yeah, and a lot of the time the human stuff is actually more terrifying yeah. than the supernatural stuff. And that's, that. you know, that's what I like. And that's mm. why you said, John, about this episode being, if it is just dementia, yes, it is, it is a, a horrifying thought that that could happen to any of us and a mm. horrifying thought of what's happened to Ruth, to be honest with you, because mm. I love yeah. it. So as the record's going on, Blue Moon, lovely, lovely stuff. Mm. Um, this is weird. So I know we've said that he's not done anything bad in this episode. I'm not considering this as is a bad thing. He starts to dance with her. Now this was this <laughs> this was creepy. I don't know. I I was finding this very you know I was just like a bit scared here. She asks what's the combo for the safe so she can get the bullets. Obviously the hunt for the bullets now is the main through line of the episode. Wendell walks down, and I like Wendell by the way because although he's got a ridiculous name. He, awful name. Awful name. He walks down the stairs. He sees this. He's like, what the fuck is going on here? Mm. Uh, yeah. What's he stumbled onto? Absolute horror show. You know? <laughs> and as you said, Em, he is holding one shoulder sort of lower than the other. This skull, you oh, know, stinky. the kid. Yeah. It's weird, man. And he's like six foot eight. He's just terrifying. Um, he doesn't want to leave her, obviously. But Ruth's like, oh, you know, I've never bought you a present. Go down to the mall. What time is it? <laughs> Okay, so this is my biggest question because it's dark outside and he never comes back. Well, he's not coming back. I mean, I, 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 what time is it? It must be like 10pm or something. But why he, is he leaving? Why is he leaving? Look, Wendell, you're street, you seem streetwise, mate. Even if it's like nine o'clock and he's gone, go some more, buy yourself something. By the time everything else in this episode culminates, the fuck is he? Why I mean, has he not come home? You'd expect him home by the morning. You, I mean, but you don't home. see the morning because the morning's a time loop. Remember that, guys. Sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah. Um, so, Confusio. Yes. But he has to come home at some point because okay. So yeah. why isn't he home when Pangborn turns up? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he, he's gone out. For, he's gone out for the night, Wendell. He's having a big one. He's on a big one. He's he's, he's at the bar. He's <laughs> left the bottle there. He's having a great time. Yeah. You know, Granny's money. So throw down the um, free hit. Mellow Tiger. <laughs> down the Mellow Tiger. Chasing some tail, chasing Jackie Torrance, perhaps. Probably bumps into her, yeah. Yeah, she's everywhere. So, yeah. oh. Oh. well, she's probably been in the kit. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry. Oh, that is true. That yeah. is probably true. There's yeah, a big, yeah. big theory online that Jack, been Jack in the kit. Well, the other way around, but it's a good theory online that Jackie actually had sex with the kid Whoa. when they bumped into each other naked uh, that time back in episode five, I believe it was. So, <laughs> put a pin in that. We'll come back to that later. Yeah. We finally see a young Ruth in the mirror, in the reflection here, as she's checking Henry's fever back in the way, way past, as I like to call it. Mm. Interesting decision by the director, and an excellent one, in my opinion, that we only ever see Ruth really in this whole chronology of, uh, you know, events throughout her life as the old Ruth. Yeah. Mm. I love that decision. Mm. I thought that was an excellent artistic choice. Well, like you said, she's our totem. She is our totem. And John... As a purveyor of the female form. What? Um, I, I don't know why that's happening. Why? But... What did you think of uh, Ruth's uh, appearance as a young Ruth? Well, you know who it is, don't you? Who is it, John? It's uh, Sissy SpaceX's daughter. Is it actually? Yeah. Is it really? Oh, yeah. my God. Bombshell dropped. Shit, I do oh, excellent right. research for this podcast, and I did not know that. Well, there you go. I'm a purveyor. You are a purveyor of women and IMDb. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Henry's got a fever... This obviously relates to a couple of scenes that we've actually seen Sissy Spacek portray 
in earlier episodes where she's talking about, oh, you can't take him out. He's got a fever. And then she snaps back to reality and she's talking to Alan again. So we're going to have those joining scenes throughout. Mm. Uh, the Rev was trying to take him into the woods. Ruth says, you know, just tell him you can hear the voice of God. Tell him you can hear it. It makes sense. Yeah. If you've got a madman who's bringing guns out to picnics and saying, do you hear it? I'm like, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I hear yeah, it. Yeah, all the time. What's it saying to you? Oh, just loads of stuff, mate. Just good stuff about you. Well, he says loves you. So <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Put the gun away, though. Yeah, he should put the gun away. Unnecessary implement to bring to a picnic. Yeah. You know, goujons, sandwiches, peach cobbler. That's scotch thing. eggs. Scotch eggs. Yeah, that's Mini scotch eggs. Mini scotch eggs. They're delicious. So- sausage rolls. Mini sausage rolls. Anything yeah. mini goes in a picnic. So yeah. hummus. This is a lovely scene that we get next. And a very, 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 very important one. We have our... Most eligible bachelor yep. in or widower in uh, Castle Rock, Sheriff Pangborn back then, mm. welcoming Ruth into his office. Not sure if you want to talk to your sheriff or your... <laughs> I don't know what I am. My friend. Well... You say he's never raised a hand, so there's no legal avenue. That's the badge talking. As a friend, I have some other ideas. How'd that look? Minister's wife takes up with widowed sheriff. No. Not in this town. Fuck this town. Pardon my language. You go buy yourself a road atlas. Put your finger down wherever you like. Texas. Vancouver. We'll make a fresh start. Alan, I can't leave. Matthew. You said yourself he's not the man you married. I don't want you to leave your son. All you need to do is pack the suitcase. How good would it be if the second season, and we know that the second season's going to be an anthology, so it's a whole new story. Who wants to see some young Pangborn action? Me. I think um, I think it's, uh, if I had to make a, a prediction about the next season, it would be... In the past. Yeah, and Pangborn would be in it still. Yes, I'm so excited that it might not be the end for our boy. Mm. So excited that we can see him again. Um, Zombie Pangborn. <laughs> Pet Cemetery <laughs> Pangborn <laughs> coming back from the grave. Yeah. You can see their relationship in these scenes. It's it's on the cusp of being something serious. He mm. wants to run away with her. He loves her. He's happy to forsake this town. The town which he has always been the protector of and one that has treated him well, but has also led him to some horrific events in his life, mm. like the death of his wife. Also, uh, Why is he staying around, man? He, he's, he's, he's an honourable man, and that's what I, I like know, about Alan. But... That's what I like about him. Well, he left anyway, didn't he? He did eventually leave, but I, I think he kind of left because of Ruth, which you yeah. know is an interesting point. Her decision not to leave, not to pack her bags, which he implicitly says to her, pack your bags. We can get out of this place. The decision not to do that, I think, 
it says a lot that that is the, potentially the thing that broke him mm. and not all of the supernatural elements that he's been fighting for yeah. all these years. That's a very tragic thing. But Ruth, you know, she doesn't pack the bag, as we said. Um, she never does. She never does. And it's, it's, it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. So jumping around to the kitchen, we see the poison box in the trash and Ruth looking to the woods, thinking that the Rev killed Puck. Once again, definitely not buying that it's the Rev that did this. Mm. It could be, but I th- John, you think there's more to it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, why? That's what I want to know. He, he, well, she said he never liked the dog. He didn't like the noise it made. Come on, we'll shoot it then. You, I think he's a bit of a sadistic, a he, isn't he? He does, seem, he does seem like a creepy, sadistic, weird guy, but... but you would, I mean, you would go a bit mad if you could hear the voice of God. True. And you know that... Kill you, the dog. What? And you know your wife's definitely cheating on you as well. Yes, that is an interesting point, John, and something we did say with the looks in the uh, preacher sort of scene, but he clearly might have known something was going on there. So you're right about that being an extreme tension on his he, and yeah. his relationship with her. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as someone that's so like petty that he go, oh, I'm, I'll kill the dog then. Like, why? Why is that happening? But I also don't understand what reason Henry would have had for killing the dog. Well, that's my other point. Like, if you think yeah, it's Henry, why? No, no, yeah. Well, I don't know yet, and I don't have any research to back that up. Probably just, Molly. Well, He's she does killing people. She loves going over the diva house and killing things. Yeah. So, just yeah. saying. Well, why not? Um, <laughs> let's uh, flash forward to the creepy kid. Um, and, you know, he's done something nice, as we've said. He's made us some lovely eggs. It looked all right, actually. Didn't look too bad. Yeah, a bit I overhard. Mean, <laughs> overhard. He's, um, he's forcing her to drink sedatives. Now, this is where, like you say, mm. and John, it is, it's a bit tenuous whether we can gauge his intentions as good or, you know, sort of a bit negative, like, oh, I don't want you to run away. Is that a good thing or a bad, creepy thing? Um, well, look, if it was a nurse, would you be like, oh, I'm not happy with this? Would you go, no, you understand the action. Yeah. You're a professional. Yeah, but he clearly is a professional. He has been in hospital recently. He might be. He's just burnt one down for sure. Um, He does say, God helps those who help themselves, which is exactly what Ruth said to the Rev about put the gun away. You know, God helps those who help themselves at the picnic. I really like that your notes call it the gun picnic. Well, well, you know. I wish it was capitalised, like, the gun picnic. You're looking at descriptive words for things. To make me, you know, remember things. Yeah, gun picnic is definitely what I would call that. Yeah. Why do I remember that picnic? Mm, lovely sandwiches. Gun. Definitely gun. <laughs> She's used, uh, like we said earlier, M and John, the the, the uh, French drop technique. Mm. So she's absolutely hoodwinked him, gone for the sedative, sacked it off. Boom. Tricked you. So she's not going to fall asleep. So that's good news. Mugged him off. Probably should have fallen asleep, though, because then maybe the end of the episode wouldn't have been so tragic. But hey... Once again, hindsight is 2020. The kid trying to do something nice for everyone. Mm. Maybe well. he knew this was going to happen. What if he knew this was going to happen? I don't think he can see into the future. Well, he can definitely see into the past. We know yeah. that. We know that for a fact. But yeah. Now, this was to me the weirdest thing. I've never seen, you know, the kid, we've seen him for seven episodes now. Bill Skarsgård's portrayal of him has been, you know, in my eyes, terrifying. Some people online online have, you know, said it's just weird and not very scary. For me, it's terrifying. When he was wearing his dad's suit last week, that oh, was terrifying. <laughs> you guys weren't around for that, but let's say we had a little conversation about dad's suit. It was the creepiest thing. I've seen him in the garden. We sort of see it again in this episode. However, the most excited he's ever been is when he, he can draw a bath. 
Oh, do you want to run me a bath? Oh, can I? Oh, mentalist. When you say it like that, it sounds fucking weird. I thought it was really sweet, but actually... Why was he looking so excited? And he set the camera up and everything, didn't he? He's just a weird, (laughs) weird individual. Yeah, Um, that is weird. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying, you know, he just just scares the hell out of me. Um, It is weird that the last reference in the episode to the bath thing is... Yeah. Is with little uh, little Henry. Exactly. So what is this? What are these two kids? What are these two kids? And we'll come on to the teacup line in a little while because that is going to be absolutely crucial in maybe understanding who the kid is mm. or what the kid is. Using the bath as a distraction, she unlocks a safe for the bullets. No luck. Not there. Of course not. It would be too easy if they were. She hides behind the bath curtain. Excellent horror stuff here. Mm. Beautifully done. Uh, you see him, as you said, on the little camera as he goes, you know, past it. As you know, the use of the cameras, as mm. we said, is, has been excellent in this series of television. Yeah. He approaches the bath, which is slowly filling with water, and she asks, "Who are you?" You know, she kind of thinks it's the Rev, you know, the Rev Deves. But then he says something extremely interesting. I'm smaller than a teacup. So that's exactly what John Uda said. Henry said when she was in the bath all those years ago. Mm. Could it be an alternate Henry? Could it be Henry? Or are we saying, like Em said earlier in the episode, that is this him just being in spaces and being around artefacts where people have sat in before? He can see through time. We know he can see through Mm. time. Mm. Molly's heard him see through time. So we know he's seen Cujo. He's seen The Dead Zone. He's seen Stand By Me. We've heard these flashes in his mind. Is this just the fact that he's in the bathroom and he's channeling that information from the past? Well, I think it's more plausible that he's channeling somebody. And what you've got to remember is when we were in that scene before, the Rev Deves was outside the door hearing those words said. Mm. Not the rest of the conversation, but he heard, who are you? I'm smaller than a teacup. Mm. So it's still plausible that he could be channeling the spirit of the Rev Deves. Yeah. Very much so. I think... But he does... Right, he sees through time. He experiences through time. And whether that's picking up spirits or yeah. whatever it is, that, that definitely does happen. He could just be an embodiment of the schisma. You know, the schisma is this thing, this entity which is trying to reconcile, as we understand it from Odin Branch's perspective, all of these different timelines. Yeah. So he is also potentially skirting through different timelines, different times, finding all this information. He could be the embodiment of the schisma. It's an interesting thing that I think we should consider as an out there theory. Does anyone else think that schisma is ridiculous, like a ridiculous name? Well, just call it the voice of God then, or the ringing of the spheres. <laughs> yeah, but schisma, it just... Mm. You've got, you've got, it's one of the things you've got multiple options for. Just call it something you enjoy. You know, ringing of the spheres was what the ancients called it. Oh, so, I like that. Yeah, call it ringing of the spheres. So she stabs him and we know we knew from last week's episode that he was bleeding, he was injured. We didn't know the extent of the injury or if Ruth was dead because of it and all of this sort of stuff. Mm. She ends up running away from him. Obviously, the scenery around her changes into the wake of um, her husband. The next scene reminded me so much of Interstellar that, you know, an Interstellar is a thing that plays with time extremely well. Yeah. And this is where, you know, she sees herself packing a bag and as she's packing the bag she's looking at herself saying please just do it just just go 
And in Interstellar, slight spoilers, you know, there's a time when Matthew McConaughey can see himself at a moment and he's saying, stay. Mm. And it's a very, it's a very beautiful (laughs) moment. So I was getting massive Interstellar vibes from this. And I wish she had just listened to her older, you know, her future self and heard that little ghost voice and just left because then she'd be living a whole new happy life, probably anywhere she wanted. Hey, look, you know, maybe the kid will sort all that out at the end of the season. Who knows? Just click his fingers. Yeah. Click his heels three times. Could do. So then we get this odd confrontation with the Rev. You're sick. You've lost touch with reality. It's just the woman that's arguing with her dead husband. Why don't you just ask me what you really want to know? Where are the bullets? But I can't help you because I'm not me, I'm you. And you can't remember. I should have taken the gun and shot you at your sleep. Why? To protect our son! Well, it's a little late for that, isn't it? I mean, what did you ever do for Henry? Nothing, because you were too chicken. It's time to buy! And you unpacked it. Clothes back in their drawers, gun back in the linen closet. She gets the final clue for the bullets, uh, which we now know are in the pet cemetery, as we call it, suitcase, John's favourite. She goes down to bury the, uh, like dig them up, and she sees her old dog there, like uh, digging up with her. Yeah, it was cool. I that. Love that that was so sweet in a yeah. way. Um, yeah, I mean yeah. he's not helping though, is he? He's doing his best. Yeah, I mean I must be quite hard to <laughs> dig that up again. I think you know. So he, I thought he did a good job. She needed. She a, did she, a good yeah, job. yeah, they you yeah. Know, both did a stellar job. This leads to Ruth heading down to the garage to await the kid and finally kill her nemesis and reset the timeline in her eyes. So remember what Wendell said: mm. if you kill your nemesis, reset the timeline. You know, she believes that this might be. Uh, the way in which she can she can cure herself and everything maybe maybe fix what she was never able to do. Now we get to uh, what is obviously was always going to happen apparently according to the way that time worked in this show, but it didn't lessen the blow one bit. We all knew this was coming. The moment that I mean I didn't get it at the start of the episode, but by the time we got you know the hunt for the bullets, I was like oh god, I kind of know where this episode's going. And it, the fact you know that it happened and was so obvious that it was going to happen, didn't cheapen it in any way, shape or form. I actually thought that it was going to be Henry. Wow, that I mean out well, of the schisma box. dead. Yeah, I Jesus. thought that oh, it was no, going to no. be Henry coming to the door, coming back from being in the schisma cage, mm. and she was going to shoot her own son. Well, that's that's an interesting take. I Very... thought it was Wendell. I oh, oh Wendell. wow, Jesus, double yeah. I double didn't blows. see Pangas thought coming. I thought he'd come back. Well, that would have been... Well, Ooh, logical. And we have yeah. said that Wendell is pretty much doomed... Mm. No matter what happens in the show, Wendell ain't making it, in my opinion. No. Um, he's just disappeared in but, the mall. But this was this was devastating. Uh, and I've said last week how he's my favourite character. There's a lot of our favourite characters in this show. And I wanted him to see it through to the end. I'm absolutely gutted. And to see him die in this manner um, mm. hurts so much more for me and obviously for Ruth. He kind of forgives her in his last moments. He was just trying to help her. And as we said last week, it kind of feels like he sold his soul a little bit in the process of, um, you know, trying to help Ruth, which is a very sad thing for a man who has resisted the devil on so many occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, For him to essentially, I'm not saying he was killed by the kid. I'm not saying that at all. But obviously the kid has had a massive influence in the events of the last few uh, days of their lives. And um, it's just a shame that, that he had to go this way when he had withstood so much evil for so long. But hey, had to happen at some point, right? He was he, a good innings for the man, considering what he's been through. Yeah, I mean, I think 
Pangborn's been missold there massively. Yeah. I mean, what's he got out of that? I, I don't understand what he's got out of it. Out of helping the kid? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, we don't know yet. Obviously, we said about wow. the kid's motivations. I mean, it did seem at the end of last episode that he was extremely menacing. He knows the car is being used to build a monument of some sort to, yeah, well. to Warden Lacey. So very weird, very weird stuff. But um, Pangborn, someone close to your heart, a man who you've read a lot about recently in, in you know revisiting some books for the for the King Corner section and and for the show mm-hmm. it's a shame to to see the white knight the protector of castle rock go right well and especially when i thought it was going to be henry and then i looked down and i was like what the what it was brutal it, mm. devastated um i don't think it's the last we're going to see of him no. but it it I, it was very beautifully done i thought that whole moment where ruth after she realized it was him and she came back to reality so to speak just laid her head in his chest and lay there with him all night one of the showrunners was talking about that scene and uh scott glenn, scott glenn and yeah. uh, and sissy spacek had their uh kind of varying reactions to how they would act out that scene uh and the thought process is that uh pangborn's character uh would not allow him to show that he was in pain yeah to save her her from the guilt of you know putting him through that mm. yeah very good very uh, good point which is uh he's just a great man isn't he he's just a bloody great man my, my hero now i was already going at this point already in tears i wasn't at this point well i was because i was devastated i didn't actually cry um well inhuman no. yeah but uh the kid then they plays my favorite piece of music on the nature of daylight by max Richter. And I absolutely lost it because I knew that it was going to be a tragic, tragic ending to this episode. A beautiful ending and one of, I think, one of the best scenes the show's done, easily. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. called, said he heard gunshots up in North Prospect. I could be dead in the ground. Folks would still ring me when they need a policeman. So I figured that uh, I'd check and see if you needed one. A cop. Ruth, it's because of you. That's why I came back. I, I know it's not fair to put, it, put this on you after all these years. And if you want me to, I'll go right now. It's just incredible. It's essentially the scene that completes the time loop. Um, something that is making us question whether or not this is dementia or something more. Mm. Now, we know that the reason that Alan came back to Castle Rock all those years ago is because there was gunshots fired 
at the diva residence.、Mm. Someone called him and told him, so he went to check on Ruth. We now know that those gunshots were him being shot in the future. That's implicitly implied at the end of this episode. This is a very interesting thing. Is it the past? Is it the you know? Is this a remembering? You know, we know that to be the case. It was even in the previously on had that scene between、um, Alan and Henry saying how he came back and why he came back because of the gunshots.、Mm. So well, it's this, extremely interesting. This was the point where I went. Oh, are we just in dementia, or is something really happening here? Because、yes. it was Ruth's reaction, and then when you when you really think about her response in that scene, makes actually makes no sense if he's just come back after like fifteen years and he goes, "Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right." Ah, <laughs> it's slightly better than that. Go out, go, you know, go get a cup of coffee, and she's like, "Don't leave, never leave." Yes, it, make, it makes no sense. Unless she's just shot back from the future and、mm. she's just killed him. But there was a totem in the background of this scene, similar to the way that Inception ends. Spoilers for Inception. I won't spoil it, but you see a totem at the end, and it makes you question the、um, authenticity of what you're seeing. Yeah. And this does the same thing. Are we led to believe that the totem is, you know, implying that she? This is this. She's not in reality because every time she goes near these totems and she grabs them, it snaps her back to reality. If you get what I mean, so mm-hmm. it's a very interesting situation. And you know, I've not seen a definitive answer on it online yet. I think there's a very、no. open debate about what's going on. Thinking about the totems,、uh, is it is it king and queen with king dead? Yes, exactly.、Yeah. So there's there's two totems. Very good point, John.、Uh, one being the the queen standing up and the king is now dead. Obviously referring to Alan. Devastating, yeah. And this is the end of their story, their tragic story in a way, an unfulfilled,、um, an unfulfilled love. And the acting here from Scott Glenn was outstanding.、Mm. Um, he's a tough guy. He's a gruff guy. He swears. He says what he thinks. But he was so vulnerable in that scene. I was stunned. It it, it blew me away. And you know, I'm just gutted we're not going to see more Scott Glenn this season. Probably. I think we will. Scott Glenn. Mm. I mean, I hope so, but I think this is. I, I think it'll be hard to see him again because I think this is such a beautiful ending,、mm. a beautiful ending. For, you know, in the way it's constructed, it's not necessarily a beautiful ending for their love story. Yeah, will it cheapen it if he comes back? I, exactly, and that's my concern. I mean, I don't mean coming back as in like not being dead. I mean, in yeah, you mean like flashes? flashes yeah. yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. this is the last time we see him. I think it's a beautiful、mm. out for him. Yeah,、mm. and phenomenal job, Scott Glenn. We take our hats off to you. So, as we said, there's two ways to look at this episode. I just want a quick answer from you guys: if you think this is a straight up dementia, or b whether you think there's something more supernatural at play.、I'm、going to go to you first, M. It's Stephen King. It's definitely b something more supernatural.、Uh, John. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be b.、Um, I don't think it should be, but I think it will be. Yep,、yeah, I'm going to go with. Be as well, I think, and I think it's going to only be slightly supernatural. I don't know, you know. I, I, I still think this is a harrowing look at Alzheimer's. Do you and, think not?、Uh, think it's a combination of the two in a way, isn't it? It, you know? it is a combination of the two. I don't think that Ruth is has no illness. I, I just think there is something going on here,、mm. um, and I can't wait to find out more. But just an absolute tragic episode. Sissy Spacek. I think we should have a little section here talking about her. Phenomenal. Phenomenal acting, yeah, unbelievable.、Yeah. Um, I didn't know she had this in the locker, 
still had this in the locker. She, she pulled out of the bag. She has, you know, 1976, she did the, you know, the carry, mm. the first, uh, you know, carry adaptation, as it were. Mm. Um, she was brilliant in that. And, you know, she put a lot of research apparently into like dementia, read a lot of books about it and sort of ways in which to portray the character, mm. ways in which to sort of, you know, she's terrified in this episode, but the way she portrays it is with, with such inner strength and a resolve that she's going to find a way out of this. You and know what I mean? it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's stunning. I mean, and, and, and we've said this with Westworld uh, this season earlier. There was, a, there was an episode of Westworld where we said, you know, it could be submitted for an Emmy, you know, for just a standalone episode. Mm. And I could definitely see that with, with this. I think if there was a category, and I think there is a category for standalone screenplay, I I see that episode of Westworld and this being submitted so far. Um, Excellent stuff from Sissy, excellent stuff from the showrunners, and uh, bloody loved it. I think we said a lot about the kid before we go on to King Corner, and we've said how he's not necessarily the straight reincarnation of of the Rev. We both agree, we're all in agreement with that, like that he's not the straight reincarnation i think it's got to be slightly more interesting than that yeah com- more complex actually yeah, exactly we, we, all, agree, yeah. we all think it's going to be more complex probably channeling the um you know like we said different past different timelines different you know attributes of being in that house around those possessions that he's obviously been rooting through of the revs and i just want to remind you guys uh relating to that theory about the prison video that he watched when he was released from prison. <laughs> yeah. Saying to lie, to adapt to his surroundings and to embellish upon the truth. Mm. And I think that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to fit into the family using all the information that he's found on on the family. And, you know, the main member missing is the Rev. Yeah. Which is why I say I don't think it's, I don't think he's malevolent. I don't think he's doing it to be creepy. He just is, because look at him. He is, He's yeah. doing he it to try woman. and make Ruth feel comfortable and yeah. to, to fit himself into his own, you know, little slot in the, the Deeves house. Yeah, mm. exactly. I mean, guys, phenomenal episode. Great. Great to recap it and go through that completely disjointed. And it is, and I'm sorry it's disjointed, guys, but that's just the way the episode was. And it's really hard to cover episodes like that because they're just they're just so interesting and so different. Mm. Um, but I hope you like that. But now onto the really juicy stuff. Uh, we're going to move on to the favourite section, King Corner. I'm innocent, Red. Just like everybody else here. The house is burning. Hi, Georgie. Hello and welcome back to uh, King Corner. But before we enter our uh, Stephen King multiverse references. It is time to uh, say some goodbyes and in memoriam to our beloved protector of Castle Rock, Alan Pangborn. (laughs) Sad times, really sad times. Alan Pangborn, he enters Castle Rock in 1981 as the sheriff. There with his wife, Annie, and his two children, Todd and Al. Little Al. He's always had a little magic, that Alan Pangborn. Oh, yeah. Shadow puppets, a bit of the older French drop. Palming. The French drop. Uses it to distract and, and also to lighten the tone in, in really, really tough times. But actually, Alan <laughs> Pangborn's magician skills uh, have also been uh, the, the saviour of Castle Rock in themselves. 100%, yeah. 100%. He's also known for absentmindedly uh, performing shadow puppets on the wall, um, which is also something that he uses against one of the biggest nemeses. Nemeses. 
of Castle Rock, Leland Gaunt. Oh, yeah. He's had some tragedy, our pangers. He, uh, he lost his wife and his youngest son in a car crash uh, just after saving Tad Beaumont from uh, George Stark in the dark half. He then, whilst grieving, grieving husband, one son, just him, he's having a really rough time. He saves Castle Rock from the devil incarnate, leaving Gaunt in needful things. But he finally falls in love again. Um, in Castle Rock, we see him uh, in love with Ruth Diva. In the King multiverse, or the literary multiverse, he falls in love with Polly Chalmers, and they eventually leave Castle Rock to go and live in New Hampshire. Alan Pangborn has been Castle Rock's protector for many, many a year, uh, working as sheriff until 1991. What a significant year that was. And finally, <laughs> in this incarnation, we see him tragically, tragically lost at the hands of what I think is his one true love. So let's let's raise another glass, raise shall glass, we? Raise glass to Alan. Glass to Alan. Alan. Sad, sad times. Sad times. Sorry, sorry to see you go, Pangers. Scott Glenn, you've done a, a beautiful, beautiful <coughs> job yeah, of betraying one of the most key characters <coughs> in the King multiverse. And it's it's worth noting that if you have enjoyed the character of Alan Pangborn in the show and you've not read any of the books, check out The Dark Half and Needful Things. Obviously, he features quite prominently in those, so do check those out if you want to read more about our beloved Pangers. All right, should we crack on with uh, all the other little references during this episode? Not this many this uh, weekend, is there? No, not that many at all, actually. And I, I was a bit sad to have missed last week's because there was some really good stuff there. Yeah, last week was juicy. Um, so, <laughs> but, but we've got some. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make our way through them. Um, one of the, the strongest uh, references in this episode, uh, The Queen, is to Gerald's game. Ter- you know, terrifying adaptation, as, as we've said before oh, yeah. in previous episodes on Netflix. If you want to see something disgusting... Watch that adaptation. You know, Gareth said he couldn't watch it after, you know, I told him to watch it. Um, it's, it's, it's tough to watch, but it's, you know, check but it's it out. an incredible story. It's an incredible story. And we've got a lot of references to Gerald's game in this episode. So uh, both of them are focusing around a woman in danger, woman in distress. Yeah, definitely um, can see that. And, and there's, a, there's a huge amount um, in both of these storylines that uh, where this, this, you know, protagonist, female protagonist is forced to re-examine her memories to be able to... Uh, solve a problem. Solve a problem, yeah. save a life. Yeah. Um, with, without many other options, let's yeah. be honest. Um, both of them also prominently feature stray dogs yes so you know so the dog is Ooh, a Joe. big thing in Gerald's game um, suitably terrifying in, mm. in the in the way that it's you know that device of the dog is used in that in that in, in, in the in the Netflix film but there's also uh, the villain in where's he from him where is he from I think you might find us from Juniper Hill bloody hell oh Juniper, Hill. Juniper Bloody they Hill. They farm them out, don't they, them villains? I mean, dangerous people. The loonies are so excited that that place has been burned down. They got no, right, they got... Four of them escaped. Jesus. Not just the kid, three others. I hope he didn't escape. He's mental. Um, we've also got some really nice references, and it's very, very subtle, but it's well done, uh, to very expensive cuts of beef. Uh, you know, Kobe, Ruth smashes yeah. out. Kobe beef, Kobe tell us. Beef. Go on, Len. Yeah, so in Gerald's <laughs> game... They make a big deal that she leaves um, steak, like steak out for the dog. And it's this is not a spoiler, it's at the start. And it's Kobe beef. And the guy's like, what are you doing? Well, yeah. They're like 100 quid a steak. Yes. What yeah, are you doing? That is the most ridiculous thing in all of Stephen King, I would say. <laughs> That's you know, the most, I, yeah. I, I, I can some ridiculous take stuff. animals coming back to life. Yes. You know. Don't and, throw and away that. Dead kids coming back to life. Yeah. Ooh. But feeding dogs Kobe beef. Mental. What are you thinking, man? What are you thinking? So, yeah, that one. 
And probably the most prominent uh, comparison between this this particular episode of Gerald's Game is uh, the female protagonist or the female lead conversing with a dead husband, uh, being berated, you might say, yeah. by such dead yeah, husband, I see that. Uh, until she's able to finally solve her own problem. So we see that with the whole bullets thing. Um, and, yes. and it's very, very prominent in Gerald's Game. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the culmination in Gerald's game of her problem solving leads to that disgusting scene. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Check it out and be prepared to be disgusted. Mm-mm-mm. Um. So one of the other things uh, that I thought was uh, quite good to bring up in King Corner is there's a there's a King quote uh, where he says there's an idea that hell is other people. My idea is that it might be repetition, yep. which is very, very closely linked to the way this episode is structured, the struggles of dementia, the, the twisting of time. Um, it's just a nice little kind of hark, hark back, shall we say? Yeah, and you know, a king quote. the fact that he has said that and he sees it as this repetitious hell can be portrayed this way. And there's... Um, there's a couple of shows that have portrayed hell. What was the show I was watching? Preacher. I was watching Preacher, which is an, an AMC. I haven't seen it yet. It's, it's, it's excellent. And they portray hell as being this repetitive, you just relive your worst like day over and over again. Mm. Um, and, you know, this idea of repetition is horrifying. Imagine just reliving that over and over again. So the fact that he said that is very poignant for this episode. And mm. obviously, I think, really ties into the fact that I, and I think this is one of the more Stephen King focused episodes even though there's less adaptation stuff in there there's less nods to the easter eggs in there it feels like he's i don't know written this or something i don't know not his style but it feels like it's a it's a story which is open-ended and you if you had Mm. this as its own you could take it either way supernatural or not and i think that's also you know you've said it right there it it links back to what we were saying earlier about the the terrifying thing about supernatural or the the supernatural is that it is so close to being just reality and people and humanity uh one of the other things that we've talked a lot about in the last few episodes has been the lewis chessmen um there is one particular uh totem or piece, chess piece in uh, in this episode that has um, has a crown and is red, and yes. this is definitely a nod to the Crimson King. Um, yeah, the, you guys have talked about this a lot in the last few weeks. I've not read the Dark Tower series, but it's next on my list. Yeah, um, and I mean, Len, what do you? How do you think this is going to impact the the story as we move forward? So we've said it for a couple of weeks now that the Crimson <clears throat> King uh, references have been slowly creeping into the show since probably episode four when Zalewski went mad and drew the smiley face symbols, which <laughs> is a calling card of Randall Flagg, the man in black, who is a uh, servant of the Crimson King and the main one of the main anti- uh, antagonists in the Dark Tower series. Um, and, you know, these little references to the Crimson King have been creeping in. He's also meddled in small town main affairs before in the book Insomnia. Mm-hmm. So he's 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 not, he's, you know, he does delve into these, you know, smaller town stories. Uh, I just think that they're showing us all these little cute references, like this totem that is red with a crown. Um, and I don't think they're going to bring it up at all this season and say, like, oh, yeah, the Crimson King's behind everything. But if we look at this show as an anthology series, which it is, mm. similar to the way American Horror, Horror Story is going to be, or is, is yeah. or is, maybe like four or five seasons down the line when we've had four or five different stories and we've had all of these little references throughout, maybe the sixth season could be something where they bring the Crimson King in and say, look, it's been building up to it this whole time, similar to the way that Avengers did with Thanos, that, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Seeding, seeding, seed, you know, seed, seeding this idea of an overarching evil 
and then revealing it in your final season is a very strong strong base to base something off of I think to be honest with you I'm I, I'm buzzing that they're you know giving so much thought to the Dark Tower series the multiverse even the schisma last week was referencing it so excellent stuff here what do you think well I mean I look I uh if you're thinking strategically as uh, as, as Hulu are uh, yeah. and the showrunners are, I think it's just too early. Yeah. Uh, to even consider that, I um, I almost feel like. Uh, so yeah, look, is it a nod? I mean, if it's that obvious, it's got to be. But yeah. yeah. At this point, it feels like a treat that could turn into something. Yes. Like that, you know, you, you reference the the Marvel stuff. There's no way that. Yeah, uh, they could have foreseen. No, exactly. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think they're just putting it there in the hope that, mm. and even if it doesn't materialise into a it's, it's six seasons, it's a treat for yeah, fans. Yeah, yeah. It's a treat for me watching it, and you, you know, us talking about it now, and yeah. for other people to go back and rewatch it and go, "Ah, oh, see what they've done there." Or mm. for anyone after they've watched this show to be interested in Stephen King, go read the books, rewatch the show again, and go, "Wow, <clears throat> it's a yeah, lovely, it feels pretty ambitious, yeah. lovely little nugget." Isn't it? And nothing, I'm sure it will pay off. Yeah, I love the ambition of it. Um, if that is what they're doing, mm. and fair play to them because you know they've got the backing, they've got the you know good critical acclaim this first season. This episode mm. is the highest rated episode of the season. There's still three episodes. <laughs> they to haven't go. had the blueberry school yet. Yeah, so. never, never, never <laughs> had the blueberry average. But um, basically, you know, it's doing well, and it, it's not even been released globally yet. We were saying last week how uh, it's only really released in the states and Canada predominantly at the moment um so it's it's going to be interesting to see how it fares when it's released in other you know territories around the world yeah. so yeah. <laughs> all the power to it let's keep going with it so lastly uh, which of you guys is familiar with a particular figure in uh, mythology and horror of the wendigo yeah yeah. Wendigo. I've no idea. What is I the Wendigo? Wa- now, listen, I watched a really bad horror movie about... Oh, I've seen it. I think I know what you're going to talk it's about. It's fucking awful. I can't remember. But I watched it like... And we'll be doing a podcast on that. Eight years. We? Oh, we should do. It's hilarious. <laughs> eight years ago, called The Wendigo. As, right. You know, he hangs out in the woods and he's, yep. you know, a mysterious fellow. However, we had some feedback <laughs> this week, didn't we, Em? We did. So one of our avid listeners, who uh, also does a lot of... Uh, has a lot of interaction with us on Reddit, Manda Forever. Yeah, Manda. Uh, Shout out, mate. Good Hello. work. Hello. Um, Hello. He asked us if we thought that the dreaded Wendigo was in fact the mysterious force in the woods that is leading people astray. And perhaps, uh, and I'm ad-libbing here a little bit, Yeah. responsible for some of the uh, schisma madness. Yes. So what he said was, <laughs> I took some of the screenshots from Henry's visions, dreams, memories, whatever they may be, and I think you'll find this interesting. I think the tall, shadowy figure that you were mentioning last week, Len, yeah. uh, is a Wendigo. Yes, I did mention that Very, very interesting. So, in terms of bringing this back to the King canon, because we are in King Corner. Of course. Uh, the Wendigo features in a couple of King novels. Uh, Pet Cemetery, which is heavily referenced across all of this season so far of Castle Rock. Mm. As well as The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which is very interesting. Uh, yep. So, we were then directed to some... Uh, Glorious tidbits from the uh, Stephen King wiki on the Wendigo. Which is also a very good wiki, by the way. It's because, brilliant. Because, uh, you know, I've uh, got like a, a part-time knowledge of Stephen King. Like I know all the, the major beats, but I don't know them in depth. So sometimes we have to go on there and check it out. Go check it out if you want to know some more on some of these characters, guys. It's good fun. It's like Wikipedia, but just for Stephen King. Yeah. Like a, <laughs> like a wiki of ice That's what fire. it says on the tin. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Clever that. Um, so I'm going to quote a little bit and then I'm going to ad lib my way through it. So the Wendigo is a primal demon. Primal. Yeah. 
So yeah. from primal. primordial ooze. Yeah. Ravaging. Yeah. Uh, that terrorise the uh, tribes of Native America, because I can't pronounce that. What is that word? Algonquins. Algonquins. Yeah, Algonquins. That's good. As well as cursing the pet cemetery. So um, you will see various uh, opportunities for the Wendigo to cause havoc. Um, and he's described, or the creature itself is described as having lurked behind the scenes, manipulating yeah. events in the town, just as Pennywise in Derry and, and Little Tool. And Derry, obviously, you know, Pennywise, it, small town Maine, mm. same sort of jazz. They love it, don't they? You can't get bloody enough of it, mate. <laughs> Um, I mean that part of the world Jesus man I mean yeah. Stephen King I don't know we, we, we've referenced I'm never back. going to Maine I can tell you now I really never. want to go in a really I think we should go I think we should go yeah I, I think, think we should put it out to our viewers should we do it should, should we, we go to Maine should we go to Maine anyone who is listening from Maine I know our friend uh, Acadia over at um, Castle Rock Historical let's, Society yeah, is from Maine and uh, Acadia you sort us out I think you've got to put us up You've yeah. got to put us up, if anything. We'll we'll fly. You give us a couple of yeah. rooms to take uh, us. Take us to the Mellow Tiger. Take us to these bars, please. Yes, <laughs> yes. And Nan's luncheonette. And we know we're how to drink. Nans. We know how to drink over here. So yeah, we're Brits, man. Yeah, we can handle it. Badly. Drink you under the table, my friend. Well, why say that? Um, uh, but do check out Castle Rock Historical Society. They're great. Another podcast. Our friends. Um, and yeah, Acadia, we're coming for you. Jesus, man. <laughs> Don't be scared. We're coming you know, for you in a fun Wendigo. way. <laughs> Lendigo. Oh, <laughs> the Lendigo. Uh, had to go there. Um, so we, we see the Wendigo uh, attack, essentially, uh, Trish McFarland. Um, she becomes lost in the woods. Similar to Henry. Yeah. During the course of Trish's journey, uh, the Wendigo leaves grisly omens yes. in the woods. Ugh. Mutilated so, animals like deer. So the deer, the deer one stands out to me because in the very oh, first hideous, in it? the very first episode of um, the season. Oh my god, I'm in the snow. Yes. So Pangborn is is going through the woods and he's um, like going through looking for a dead body and he discovers a dead deer. Mm. Now you know I'm not just you know it could just be a dead deer. Obviously it's very cold out there, but I'm just saying that's that's, that's what I was thinking about when I just read that. Now that's so, very yeah. interesting. Um, but another thing that actually links this very closely to this particular episode and, and last week's, well, more last week's actually than this, um, is that halfway through this particularly nasty ordeal that Trish is having to uh, experience, three supernatural messengers come to her. Um, one such uh, described called, as the subaudible. Schisma, subaudible, voice of God, yeah. you know, <clears throat> audible. In your ears. Um, kind of, I mean, <laughs> creepy, to be honest. Uh, one in the form of her science teacher, weird, um, and a prophet of the God of the Lost, which, of course, is the Wendigo. So so what do we think? Do we do we think that the Wendigo is potentially mm. a part of this, or is this just a nice homage Go on, John. to King? Uh, an homage. You think it's an homage? Yeah. Well, I, I like... Only uh, because we're yeah, talking on. about self-contained stories. Yeah, that is true. Talking about self-contained uh, stories, okay, yeah. but uh, and thank you, Amanda, forever for the for the for the info because it's definitely something we hadn't even considered, and that's what we like about feedback. Mm. Is mm. and this is a bit of feedback that we're putting in King Corner just because it's more relevant for King Corner than feedback. But loving it, love it because you know what? I looked at the images um, that you sent, and 
He definitely looks like the Wendigo's face in some of those swirly images well, do you know what you of were... that visions that we saw last week. And I, I went through it frame by frame last week. Mm. And now, <laughs> looking at it frame by frame like I did this week, I'm seeing the Wendigo. Now, it's really funny. You know, so you mentioned uh, some of the weird figures in the uh, in the forest looking like, reminding you of Slenderman. Yeah, yeah Slenderman. Today, right? I have seen five posters for the movie Slenderman. release yeah. of Slenderman. Which I think we should cover because like it off. Um, well, it's almost Halloween, isn't it? Yeah. So, but the Wendigo well, is a is a character or not character, a mytholo- mythological figure or yes. a, a demon, not just demon. in Stephen King, um, but across a lot of supernatural fiction and TV. I've come yeah. across the Wendigo many times. So, you know, potentially it might just be a part of it. Um, but I like the links back to the, you know, subaudible, the voice of God. Yeah, love that. Um, but that's it for this week in terms of King Corner. We didn't have that many um, uh, references, but I think yeah. they're really quality ones. There's a lot to dig into I there, th- I think. I think we've got some good things and it was just important to give a bit more time to our boy Alan. Absolutely. Know, and uh, I think now we should uh, move on to feedback. I reckon so. Let's hand you back the reins, Len. How do you like it? <laughs> okay. Let's talk. What do you want to talk about? Okay, guys, a few pieces of feedback this week. Thank you very much for everyone that's been in touch. It's been awesome to hear your guys' thoughts. And we really do appreciate it every time you get in touch because, you know, it's such a it's such a detailed show. There's so much that we can miss, even though we literally comb through the episode multiple times. We do miss things. If you want to tell us any of your theories or anything you think after this latest amazing episode of the show, please just email fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com or reply to one of our Reddit posts, Facebook posts, or we're on Facebook as Fan Critical. Like our page, chat to us on there. Fan Sorry. underscore Critical on uh, Instagram or Fan Critical Pod as at Fan Critical Pod on Twitter. Now, a lot of this is referring to last week's episode, which is actually fine as technically we haven't really moved the plot along at all. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of fine. First up, some corrections. Last week, we weren't sure at the time when we recorded it that the actor who played Odin Branch, CJ Jones, was actually deaf or not. Now, that's our bad. I can't believe that you didn't know. He was well, there. John, it was a very it's a long record. It was a it was a tough time. But two listeners have got back to us and said uh, he's indeed deaf. So and John's also just had a go at me saying I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and of course, he most recently played a deaf character in Baby Driver. So we're sorry that slipped our minds. And thank you very much for the correction. His his signing was emphatic. Yeah, very expressive. Mm. I, I loved it. And uh, John, you weren't here last week, but you, you really, you know, did you enjoy that signing? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I think, um, well, look, I, uh, I hate being negative about stuff. Yeah, you do. You I do. do. I Even really you do. are, you do. Um, but I did say, once I'd watched that episode, there were a couple of times where the guy that was uh, acting as the interpreter for the audience that are watching the show mm. said stuff before... CJ Jones had actually signed it. There was only a couple of times, but it just annoyed me that that was the case. You know, it's Willie's fault. He, <laughs> oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The character's yeah. called Willie, yeah. so... Win, always blame yeah. the Willie. Always blame yeah. the Willie. So, yeah, sorry we missed that, uh, guys. Really sorry. And thank you to Crystal Ann and Rebecca Freed, who did indeed tell us that. So thanks for pointing that out, and thanks for listening as well. Someone called uh, Tiana 
sent us an email asking if we think that the doctor that examines the kid in episode one in the prison is the malevolent guard Percy from the Green Mile or if he looks similar or if we see any sort of reference Ooh. there. Uh, so nice shout out. It can't be him just because of timelines, even though time is completely fucked up in the show now and we have no idea. But I did go back. Looked like him a bit for sure. So quite like that. If it's a little reference. Thanks for that, Tiana. Appreciate that. Charles asked if we could uh, read the addresses and uh, letters and the cassette tapes that the kid goes through last week in Ooh. the opening sort of salvo um, and see, you know, as he's going through the Rev Deve stuff, which is obviously very important this episode because he knows so much about the Rev or he is the Rev. Um, so I went back and I looked at this. Um, the letters were all addressed to Rev Diva. So they're all the current address, Rev Diva at North Prospects, which is where they live. The tapes were all labelled Reverend Diva, Sermon, and then a year. So there were different years, 1990, 1989, 1988, etc. Looking at this again, and it's a good thing you asked us to do this, Charles, actually, because it's extremely relevant for this episode. Mm. It helps us think about... <clears throat> what the kid was doing last week and how he might have so much information on the Rev. He watched all those home videos. He listened to those cassettes. He put on the suits. He mm. went through the letters. He's picked up all this information and he's amalgamated it. So our theory about him just, you know, picking up information and absorbing it and trying to use it to help Ruth, I think is aided by us doing this little task and going through those little things. So mm. thank you for that, Charles. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Another listener on Reddit, uh, quiet chick uh, had this theory on Henry and I like this guys so let's just let's run with this because I I really like this it's about Henry the Rev and the Schisma and I thought it was interesting okay so in one of the episodes earlier in the season Pangborn says to Henry that the Rev wrote it in capital letters he did it and then the next day he was dead right mm. but what if this doesn't refer to the attempted murder on the Rev but in fact that Henry broke through the schisma and went to an alternate universe or travelled through time or finally understood the voice of God. Mm. Well, yeah. And, and not that he killed him or like tried to kill him. What do you think about that? I like it. I do like it. Um, I think I'd be slightly annoyed that um, all he would write is he did it without any context of anything. I think you've got to, you've got to appreciate at this time... <laughs> He's writing in all capitals, so he's very serious about what's going on. He, he's doped up on morphine, broken yeah. every bone in his body. Hmm. You know, I was there recently, you know, on the morphine and the sedative, and I can say I said some crazy things. It's a fun podcast, that, though. It, you know, I don't know how I did that podcast. 24 I don't know hours, how you edited it, to be honest. 24 hours after that. Jesus, yeah, right. man. It was it was a tough one. Um, I like that. I think that's a really good theory. And I yeah. think... He, you know, maybe he assumed that, and then Pangas clearly hadn't got a clue what was going on, but um, Del Lacey did. Maybe he thought somebody else would see it and understand. Yeah, maybe. he maybe. was trying to tell them that Henry had passed through to... Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would, be, it would be nice to uh, to get a little bit of Lacey again, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, because he's been he's been absent for a couple I, of hours. I miss yeah. his voiceover. Oh, Terry O'Quinn. context the stuff. Yeah, we miss mm. you, we miss why you Terry. Why has he done it all? Yeah, why? Go on, tell us the truth. Come on. Um, but look, uh, with regard to that, he did it. I think, um, other than a theory, I think that's that's a, a pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm right behind that. that yeah, I'm behind that, it. That he did it does not refer to um, death. Yeah. So choir chick. Good bang stuff. on, bang on there. Liking that. Um, and we just got an email now um, referring to to some Is elements. it more hate mail? No, it's not for you, John. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> email from Sherry. Um, and she says this, had the kid been in Henry's room before being locked up? 
Uh, when Henry mentioned the boat garage back in episode three, I'm sad living a bit here. Obviously, guys, remember she, he said you can buy the whole damn, you can buy a boat or whatever. Or whatever Henry's talking about. Yard. Maybe you shouldn't ad lib. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> ad lib. But Henry does say to the kid, you could buy a set of boats or something. And he got, he got excited and he did say boats. And I remember that. Mm. Um, when Henry mentioned the boat garage, the kids seemed to get excited about boats. And Henry's childhood room apparently, I need to go back and check this because we're just recording this fresh, <clears throat> has boats all over the walls. So, hmm. and let's remember, earlier in the episode, the line's smaller than a teacup. Let's, you know, oh, oh, there's a little picture attached and there are pictures of boats all around the room. It's the wallpaper. It's the wallpaper. So hmm. that is an excellent spot. And if we're going off this theory about, you know, maybe Henry and the kid having this intrinsical link, this relationship that we're trying to understand and we're mm. trying to see whether or not the, the kid is an alternate version of Henry or has adopted some of Henry's mannerisms from back in the day when he disappeared in 1991. I wonder mm. if he's like a sponge and he just absorbs Yeah, people. absorbing. But <laughs> like love, osmosis. That is an excellent... Um, spot there yeah that's very good absolutely i thought you were calling me excellent then i was getting really no, excited no no no, no 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 never call you excellent Zero but sherry excellent sherry excellent emma two blueberries oh, and uh, that. that's it for feedback this week guys so all that's left to do is to say goodbye and thanks to everyone that's listened again for another week of castle rock critical i have to say i think this is the week that the show's gone from a yeah guys check this out or no you really have to see this show and you have to force people to go and watch it because I think it's it's elevated itself now to a very high standard. I'm happy and I'm devastated. Very devastated <laughs> at the same time. Uh, yeah. But I want to thank everyone for listening. Please do subscribe if you've enjoyed it and do check out our other site, FanCritical, fancritical.com, other podcast FanCritical, all podcast channels, all of that jazz. We really do appreciate it. And please do get in touch. Leave us a review if you like. That'd be nice. Why not, eh? Um, and any theories or feedback, fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Please let us know. Yeah, man. More feedback, more theories. Yeah, I mean, look. Love them. There's been a couple Excellent. this week which have just we didn't even think about. So please do let Thanks, us know man. and we will mention them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so thanks very much, guys. I want to say thanks to John. Cheers, mate. It's good to have you back. I know, right? Your score of three blueberries is offensive. And <laughs> I think that anyone... Let us know if you think it's offensive. Send us an email. I want to know. Well, uh, again... He loves what, hate mail. Encouraging... I'm I encouraging it, yeah. hate but... mail. And Emma, good to have you back. R.I.P. Pangers. R.I.P. Pangers. And mm. yes, you have been a legend. Gareth is chatting to me now and he sends his thanks to everyone for listening. And also he says goodbye to Alan. Lucy, I'm sure, thinks the same. Thanks for listening, guys. Back next week for episode eight. Only three episodes left. They've got a lot to explain and not much time to do it. I'm buzzing. See you later, guys. See you later.